Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where the new-look Lakers have all given us hope for a brighter future. Unfortunately, in the present, they've also mirrored what's plagued this team for so long since LeBron and AD's second year here in L.A. Injuries. So now, as usual, we are all a king for a king and some health as the Lakers try and make their stretch run for a play-in push. But hey, 80's on the way again, and this gritty new team with depth seems ready for the challenge. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, the Lakers are 30-33, and 5-2 and two since the All-Star break. They pulled out a very gutsy win in OKC without any of their big three, led by Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, and Troy Brown. But before we get to the individual players, and before we get to your thoughts on how the new-look Lakers have looked out on the court, I wanted to get your very quick visceral reaction on how, well, first on LeBron James' stress reaction injury and how that may have affected your outlook on this team and season. Because behind this very impressive 5-2 and stretch, Obviously, LeBron's stress reaction injury to his foot is a very big inflection point. Uh, We learned that it's now going to keep him out for at least the next three weeks, and then he'll be reevaluated, which probably means we're likely looking at a monther, with LeBron coming back for the last four to five games of the regular season in a best-case scenario. And then on top of all this, D'Angelo Russell has been banged up for the last three or four games, so... With all that happening, but mainly with the LeBron James stress reaction news, what are your quick thoughts um, on that, and how has that affected your outlook on this team and the rest of the season and the goals that this team may have? It's obviously it's a big time bummer. I mean, there's no like understating that. It's the team felt like they were finally starting to gel, and it didn't feel like you know these random bursts where we won like two or three in a row, which is sad because that was probably like three in a row might've been the best we had (laughs) before, uh, before we got these new guys, but it's a bummer. It probably capped the upside because I will say like coming out of the all-star break when Darvin Ham and all these guys were like Schroeder and all these guys were like, yeah, internally our goal is to succeed. That felt kind of silly to me because I was like, you know, whatever. The top six seemed pretty solid, and that at the time included the Clippers. You know, we don't really have a shot at that, but whatever. Shoot for six, try to get seven, which is doable, and then 
one game at home to win and get into the playoffs and face the Grizzlies, which is not the worst matchup for us. So I thought that this team had some potential to make some noise in the postseason. I still think we have a chance to make the postseason. I just think if we do make it, it's more likely at this point that we're going to be like a, I don't know, probably not a home court advantage seed in the play-in. Um, and even with LeBron, it's like, you get the wrong matchups, right? It's like, you know, if we're facing Utah or Minnesota or, or, or Minnesota's been playing better. Let's say like Utah or um, New Orleans or some of these teams that have been struggling a little bit um, the second half of the season so far, like, I feel okay. But if we get matched up with the Warriors, if they fall back down or if we get matched up with the Clippers, if they say, you know, there's some scary teams too. So it, I, it kind of caps the upside for me and it sort of drives home the points that I think you were trying to make for a while with these trades, which is that the trades were fantastic, but they came at a severe price, which is we had to play the first, you know, 70% of the season with 80 and LeBron, like taking turns being Superman, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and, you know, both of the injuries they had, right? Like, yeah, you could say, like, oh, it's a freak injury. They were both stress reactions, though, right? Yep. Like, overwork, overuse reactions. And it's just, like, kind of silly in retrospect when you look at this team. Um, we've gone five and two. Some of those have been without LeBron. Some of those have been without AD, you know? And even in the ones that those guys played, we haven't had to use them as much as we had, you know, like to beat some of these mid teams in the past, we would win. Like, it's like, we weren't a zero win team. We would win some games against mid teams, but like we would have to play LeBron at 80, 38 plus minutes a piece. And, and some of these wins we were like, you know, I think we beat the Pelicans and we right after the all-star break and we were up double digit, like by 20 plus points in the fourth with 80 and LeBron on the bench. I don't think either of them played over 30 minutes that game. So like, you know, those types of things add up over the course of the season. And it's a shame because, well, it's a shame if they don't use that fact as like a, as a reason to keep this group together. Right. Um, they need to show some recognition that that is what happened. And mortgaging all of this again, trying to go hunting for another, another third star, like a Dame or whoever, but I doubt Dame will become available randomly, but you know, somebody of like of that caliber, like, yeah, it seems flashy. It'll sell tickets. It'll be exciting. You still have the like dangle the carrot of like, well, if we make it, who wants to face it? You know, in the, in the playoffs, who wants to face it? And the reality is, it's like, you know, I feel the like the quote unquote, who wants to face us stuff is just like nonsense. NBA seasons regularly and championships are won regularly by the team that was the best, the most consistently over the course of the season with health. But mm-hmm. With health is like the addition. It's not like, you know, it. the team still had to play well during the season. We've seen it time after time again. Oh, nobody wants to face Kyrie and Gady in the playoffs. They got swept by the Celtics last year. You know, so it's like, it, it's the team sport. And and uh, I hope that we use this as like a reason to to think about how we want to approach next season. No, for sure. And this is why we were pushing for a rust trade in the offseason. And I think people paint the trade thing to black and white as if we had to give up the firsts all at once in the offseason the whole point was just no we need to build a more competent team for LeBron James and Anthony Davis even if in the interim you want to withhold giving up the firsts and that means not just doing the Patrick Beverly trade trading for more size doing a Rui type deal with seconds in the offseason you know 
Um, signing a 10 day guy, which they kind of did with Matt Ryan, but get more size or keep Matt Ryan as a shooter, you know, instead we let him go in December and we still haven't filled that roster spot, you know? So it's not just, Oh, this trade package wouldn't have been available in the off season. Well, one, there were other trades available. The whole point is just breaking up Russ's salary first. They should have taken incremental steps to get to this point so that it didn't get to this injury point with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And, dude, that LeBron James game against Dallas, it felt eerily similar to Kobe's Achilles. It did, uh, kind of, yeah. And even the fact that, you know, the different spectrums, but Kobe obviously stayed in the game and hit those two free throws, right? For LeBron, that meant playing the whole fourth quarter and then really pulling like it out for us. Yeah. yeah, playing the whole fourth quarter on a broken foot, like capping off that ridiculous 27-point comeback. I mean, kudos to the king. He, he pretty much just showed, like, he was all in on this season, and it's just a shame that the front office, that it took so long for the front office to come on board, because obviously we got those reports from McTen even in December that said AD's play has forced the Lakers' front office's hand, and it's just like, that's where you know the process was off from the very beginning, but we're hoping, like you said, that they've learned from that now. And with regards to the season outlook, like you, I've adjusted my ceiling expectations for this team as it pertains to a true contending run. But my overall outlook on the rest of the season kind of remains in that, like you, I want this group to continue to build chemistry and gel. I want to retain 90% of these guys into next season. And so I'm looking at this next stretch as our preseason and summer league. I want them to make the playoffs so we can see these guys in high leverage situations get them a dress rehearsal for next season and build up some of that positive momentum heading into the summer. Like, I don't care if we get swept in the first round. I just want to see some of these guys in the first round. Um, And with regards to this next stretch, this team with D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Davis, Vanderbilt, Rui, this group can make some noise, man. I mean, they can. We have NBA players now. We have NBA players. And even without, like you mentioned, even without LeBron James, even without Anthony Davis, like, who was our highest paid player in the OKC game? Rui Hachimura? Like, that team still was very competent because it wasn't just a bunch of veteran minimum guys. There was, Ru- oh, sorry, it's Malik Beasley. It was Malik Beasley, Rui Hachimura, Lonnie Walker, Jared Vanderbilt, all non-minimum guys. And then here's Dennis Schroeder, vet minimum guy, playing over his head. And it all came together, you know? Yeah. In the last 10 games, the Lakers are 13th in net rating. Seven of those games are with the new guys. On the season, the Lakers are 23rd in net rating. So you'd have to imagine before the new guys came in, they were hovering in that 25th net rating range. And in the last 10, they're 13th. Shooting-wise, over the last 10, the Lakers are 15th in made threes, hitting 11.3 a game. They are middle of the pack. And in percentage, they are shooting 36%, which is also 15th in the league. On the season, the Lakers were hovering at around 10 makes per game top three worst in volume, which means they were like 28th, hovering in that 28th range. And shooting-wise, they were shooting 34%, which was still bottom five worst in the NBA. You may not think one made three and a 2% percentage bump would make a lot of difference, but in the modern NBA, it makes a lot of difference. And the Lakers have now joined the modern NBA of sufficient spacing and real shooting gravity, thank God. And so why don't we quickly transition into the broad strokes of these new look Lakers as it pertains to their on-court play, because Tommy, we haven't actually gotten your impressions of how they've looked on court, even though it's been, even though it started to fray a little with like D'Angelo Russell's injury and guys coming in and out, um, 
The fact that the Lakers have been able to sufficiently patch up the holes in between LeBron, AD, and D'Angelo Russell's absence, I think is a testament to what this group can bring and how it's even elevated some of the Lakers who have been with the team for the entire year as well. You know, with the depth, the versatility, um, the versatility and depth smartly staggered at different positions, most importantly, you know? Um, So what have your thoughts been on the broad outlook of how the new look Lakers have looked? So far, it's exceeded my expectations in the sense that, you know, I you kind of know who most of these guys are. Um, D'Lo not playing obviously hurts because he's probably the one that most of us are most familiar with. But, you you, you know, we're all NBA fans. We know who these guys are. You kind of have an expectation of what's going to happen. But at the same time, these are like role players, right? It's not like superstars. And I guess like in my head, I don't know it actually makes more sense in a way that a role player would be able to slot into a new team and continue doing what they were doing with their old team. But you sort of like get cut a little slack, like, Oh, I don't know. Like was Vanderbilt really good? Or was he a product of like some good young systems with like Minnesota and Utah where, you know, that he had a lot of youth and athleticism around him. And so he could play to his strengths was, you know, is Beasley really that good of a shooter or has he just been on some like mid-ass teams for like a bunch of years and he hasn't had to take any high pressure shots? You know, so it's like you kind of wonder these things. Bamba, is he even a serviceable NBA player? Um, you know, and like you, you just you don't know what's going to happen. And I think so far in a very small sample size, we've seen this group like everyone hit their hit in my eyes, hit their potential with like room for improvement. Besides the offense that has been, you know, the most obvious difference, everyone that gets, you know, the quality of basketball analysis, as we know, is not like the highest, right? So like everyone gets so focused on the three-point shooting, which has been a horrific problem for us for years. And it's like, well, oh, they added Beasley, they added Bamba, they added Dilo, like they got better shooting. So that's why they're better. It's like, no, 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 like people downplay like the impact that just being able to run normal NBA sets, being able to score with like some amount of ease on offense, like how much that improves you defensively since the all-star break, we're the sixth. You can correct me if I'm wrong, because you might have the better stats on this, but before we started this, I thought I saw a stat that we're sixth in the NBA in defensive rating or defensive efficiency since the all-star break. That's, you know, again, we didn't have AD for uh, one of those games. 12th in defensive rating, but pre all-star we were 18th. Okay. So there you go. You know, but we're, you know, we added Malik Beasley, who's not, he's starting for us. That guy's not known as a defender. Dennis Schroeder is a fine, he's like an okay defender, but he's severely undersized. Like, my point is, it's not like we added a bunch of elite defenders, a bunch of elite shooters. We added pretty much just shooting, and then a guy in Vanderbilt who's kind of a defensive specialist, but he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades type of guy. We're significantly better in every aspect of basketball right now. Mm-hmm. Because when you have some balance, roster balance, floor balance, like, doing things on both ends that make sense. How about like creating a game plan and sticking to it because you don't have situations where you're one of your starters or one of your, you know, primary bench players is not being defended at all. Uh, you know, like, so yeah. it's like, you know, these types of things add to the cohesive, uh, you know, collective whole of the team. And, and I think that's why the team has looked so much better overall, which we have real NBA talent. Like maybe we're not going to be the most elite defensive team. Maybe we're not going to be, the most elite offensive team, but just by having NBA players around LeBron and AD, we're good. And this is what we should have been. This is what we've all been saying. Right. And I think like, I don't have time to pull the receipts now because I'm a father <laughs> and um, I have better things to do, but you know, there's a lot of people out there who need to like, 
we need to frankly step up and say, yeah, I was wrong because with all these trades that you and I spent hours and hours like throwing out over the last year, like, well, I don't know that this moves the needle or, you know, LeBron and AD just aren't good enough. And we were trying to look for like these silver, like these glimmers of like optimism. Oh, well, see, actually AD is still good enough. Like we have to justify that AD is still good enough, you know what I mean? To like, to like lead a team, which he obviously is. Right. And like, after all the, Oh, well, you know, they're just not good. Like, Getting, we need a third star. We need a third star. Like falling into the same traps that the front office has fallen into, and really all we needed this whole time was NBA starters. Yep. Um, and or NBA starter caliber talent, and that's what we got, and that's why we look good. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I think the theme word here is balance. Better balance. Better intuitive, common sense players. We are finally playing in the modern NBA, and it cannot be understated. Not to throw this guy under the bus. How much? we've gotten in with regards to addition by subtraction with Russell Westbrook and the Clippers are feeling that we're not going to talk about the Clippers. We can just laugh about that whole situation, but it's just like not having Russell Westbrook soak up 28 minutes of usage is huge because it slots guys down properly. And the biggest thing for me has just been, look, a three point defense has been horrendous over this recent stretch. But even in spite of that, just having Jared Vanderbilt, a legit wing who can guard the, the opposing team's best wing scorer, has changed everything. And low-key, I think LeBron James being out may help because he wasn't doing a great job mobility-wise, even moving his feet. He was getting blown by left and right. And so now we can just input a guy like Rui along with Vanderbilt and have actual... I'm not saying like I, I'm, I'm fine with LeBron being out, but in terms of just like the defensive... Yeah. aspect of things like mobility wise we should be better and so i think v vanderbilt alone just changes the entire complexion of our defense and we'll get to vanderbilt in a little bit before we talk more about the individual players though um and the new guys i wanted to talk really quickly give flowers to some of the old guys before we take it to break because dennis schroeder um <laughs> He's been like, you know, Russell Westbrook 2.0 for us over the last couple seasons. He's been a Laker, high variance, bipolar player, but we give him his flowers for that OKC game, the OKC revenge game, no doubt, because when Dennis is allowed to be Dennis, where he's operating in his own world, good things can happen. I mean, you've seen throughout the season, like our annoyance can also be seen on guys like Anthony Davis, where you see him on the bench yapping at Dennis, asking him like, why the hell did you make that terrible post-entry pass, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So it's clear that the suspect decision-making is translating itself to the rest of the team. But regardless, if you can harness Dennis Schroeder's frenetic play in the right direction, especially when a team is missing its stars and desperately needs usage, scoring, and creation abilities, that's when Dennis can, that's what Dennis can do in spades, even if the turnovers and erratic play still exist, because nobody else on the team has that sort of aggression and ability to knife into the lane. Uh, and so I just want to give him his props because he's a gamer. And in spite of my annoyance with him over the last couple of years, I've definitely come to appreciate him as a Laker more this year. A lot of that is also coming from my PTSD with Russ because he's just so much better. And objectively, he's been a great signing who's vastly outplayed his contract. But kudos to Dennis Schroeder. Uh, your quick thoughts on Dennis Schroeder? Yeah, vastly outpaid his contract. It's, it, I, this guy, to me, has finally earned his next deal. I don't know if it's, it's probably not going to be with us, obviously, because we're not going to have gap space. But, you know, unless we give him that Molly. But, you know, he, somebody 
needs a guard like this. I mean, he is to have a, a guard, a backup point guard who can, you know, create a little bit of offense, who can score the ball. Like he, he can create his own shot. He can push the pace. He can hound guys defensively, even if he's like undersized and maybe like overplays a little bit on defense as a backup point guard who can, has the ability when called upon to slot into the starting spot. I mean, that's like a really valuable role in, in for any NBA team. Um, so yeah, flower, major flowers to Dennis. And I feel confident with him, um, you know, down the stretch the rest of the way, uh, what he can do. Yeah. And he is an annoyance on defense, even if the metrics don't support that, or even if sometimes the eye test doesn't support that. It's just, he's typically hounding and annoying the primary ball handler of the opposing team. Uh, also quick flowers to Austin Reeves, the reverse yes, layup, the reverse layup, Michael Jordan, Layup of madness against OKC. That was insane. Um, the aggressive yapping at Josh Green in the Dallas game and then him following that up with a crossover layup and a clutch three because Josh Green ain't shit. Um, <laughs> the last two weeks, Austin Reeves is averaging 15.5 points, 4.5 assists on 76% from the field. I mean, the guy is insane. Dude. And 89.5% from the free throw line. The shooting has been amazing. The on-ball creation stuff he started to show recently with LeBron James out, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but you can tell he's just trying to get adjusted to the new to more of the usage and getting a feel for the role and trying to snap back, trying to snap himself back to his senior year at Oklahoma City or Oklahoma State. And at Oklahoma. least Oklahoma, sorry. And at least he's driving into the paint and putting pressure on the defense, you know, and not keeping us one-dimensional, just passing the ball around on the perimeter. And I've made this comparison on Twitter before. At times, over the last two games, he's kind of looked like Jordan Poole in terms of like shaky dribbling, turnovers, not knowing where to go. But in that same vein, I think Reeves has proved himself to be the vastly smarter, more efficient, less tunnel visiony version of Poole. And I'm sure Steve Kerr would love for Jordan Poole to emulate more of who Austin Reeves is, you know? Whereas Poole is always pushing to try and get a bucket for himself or make a flashy play where a pass becomes a last resort action, Reeves is pushing for the benefit of the team to try and make something happen most of the time for other guys, you know? Or to try and make something happen, even if it's of his own accord, to get a bucket for himself, just to try something different for the benefit of the entire team. I think Jordan Poole is a little bit more of a... Uh, he's more in the Dennis Schroeder type of vein in terms of I'm going to do what I'm going to do no matter what. Austin Reeves is like, how can I help the team in this moment? In this moment, I got to drive, you know? So your quick thoughts on Austin Reeves. Yeah, Poole is an interesting comparison. I actually had never really thought about, about that connection. But I think Austin, you know, he is, he's just so solid, you know? And this is just such a home run. I mean, I, Everyone is, I, I, I hate personally making this comparison because it's just, it feels like it's just two white guys. I'm not making it for that reason. <laughs> okay. I'm just making this comparison because it's two undrafted Lakers signings who, you know, the, the scouting department picked up on and um, ended up being very great players for us. And that's Caruso and Austin. And I said this last year towards the end of the season, although like we were so bad, it's kind of hard to take anything from it. But in many ways, Austin 
even as of like, I mean, Austin certainly as a rookie, I think we could all agree is more developed, was much more developed than Caruso as a rookie. As a second year player, I think Austin is way more. I, I guess like the point of what I'm, where I'm going with this is I think Austin is going to end up being so much better even than Caruso. Um, yeah, they're different players in the sense that Caruso is a lot more defensive minded, but overall basketball impact, like, I think Austin is going to be a better player, and I really hope the front office do- learns from their past mistakes mm-hmm. and does whatever. It ca- I mean, like you know, Jeannie made the point to Caruso or whatever right, that he revealed in his in his uh, in his little interviews over the off season that it's not actually a nine million dollar contract because it costs us thirty six million per year with tax or whatever, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Austin is worth that. I like. I know that sounds <laughs> crazy, but like, he's not literally worth a max contract in terms of like salary space. But like, he, you need to just pay what it costs to keep the dude, and and don't look back. And and I think like the last few games, he's had his issues with the turnovers. But once D'Lo gets back, hopefully by Sunday or so, like, and Dennis slots back into the backup point guard role, like it that'll take a lot of pressure off Austin to stick more to, you know, he could just stick more to his, his real game, which I think is more of an off ball creator as opposed to being like the primary yeah. uh, bench creator. Yeah. And I make the Jordan pool comparison because both of them have very herky jerky movements with their dribbles. You know, yeah, they get into true. the lane they finish well, but I think Austin has just proven to be more of the judicious player of the two. Clearly. I think at this point he's the better shooter percentage wise, at least Jordan pool takes some really wild shots. But anyways, yeah. yeah, but in terms of like, they are the six man off the bench who's supposed to make things happen. And I think Austin Reeves has just shown such great efficiency and versatility on the offensive end and the defensive end. And he, we have needed him during this stretch for sure. And we will continue to need him. All right. With that said, let's take it to break. When we return, I want to talk about one last OG Laker, OG as it pertains to this season, obviously, and then we'll get into the new guys. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, so we are back. Tommy, let's talk about a player, a Lakers player that we haven't often talked about on this podcast, actually. I feel like we've talked more about him before he was a Laker as a prospect to get than we have while he's been on the team. And that guy is Troy Brown Jr. Um, Some quick stats on Troy Brown. So... Last night against OKC, or sorry, two nights ago against OKC, he tied his season high in assists with four. I believe he has like four such games of four assists this season, slinging some beautiful passes out of the pick and roll, including a swinging hook pass to a rolling Vanderbilt for the dunk, which was super pretty. More importantly, he's shooting a career high in three-point makes and percentage. So this year, he is making 1.33s, which is the most he's ever made, I, I believe, the most he made prior to this season was like 0.7. And then he's also sh- also shooting 36% from three, which is a career high. His previous high was like 35%. And believe it or not, I looked this up on Basketball Reference. Prior to this season, Troy Brown Jr. had only had one game in which he hit five threes. Yeah, he only had one game which happened in his rookie season where he hit five threes. In the preceding three years since then, he had never had a game like that, and he had never had a game where he hit four threes. Mm. This season, Troy Brown has hit four threes four times. Yeah, that's crazy. So clearly, this dude has worked on his shot, and while it's still inconsistent, as you saw with the Memphis game and then the OKC game, the dude has improved, and he still hasn't even been able to show the, his full repertoire with regards to his playmaking abilities, and I think we're going to start to see that with LeBron James out. But he was a huge reason why uh, we won that OKC game, not to mention his defense. His solid defense has been there while we've had to wait for a Jared Vanderbilt to come in and bring in the true reinforcements, but he has been overall very, very solid for us. Your thoughts on Troy Brown? He's hitting his shots. And actually, you know, if you think about it from a different way, right? Like, I can't... Giving the flowers to Troy, very, very deserved. I give some flowers here to the coaching staff, okay? Troy, mm-hmm. you know, that was not an easy decision. It couldn't have been. They got all these new guys. You mean to start him? Well, I, to, to, to keep him in this rotation. They sure. got all these new guys, right? Lonnie Walker, I think a lot... Until he went down with his injury, which was about halfway through the season or so, right? You could make a very strong argument that Lonnie Walker was our third best player, it, certainly in terms of consistency. Yeah. Um, we got all these new guys, and when you're thinking about who to cut out of the rotation, it couldn't have been easy to cut a guy you, you know, the front office spent the MLE on, maybe you're getting pressure to play him, and go for a guy who, you, who signed for the vet minimum. But I give them props, sticking with Troy, who was clearly the better defender, and giving him the usage and minutes to, like, go develop into what we thought he could be. So it's like yeah. you bring these stats up about how he hasn't hit four threes. I feel like Troy has never gotten the consistent look. That's you know what I too. mean? He's, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know he was a first-round pick, right? Was he a mid-first-round yeah. pick? I think he was like, yeah, 10th like, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So he was, a, you know, I mean, this guy was highly recruited. Sorry, out of 15th. For, you're right. Mid-first. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he was highly recruited out of college. Um, that was a weak draft, as we know, because um, that was the draft that really went like 12 and not, it was just a, not a great draft. <laughs> but, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's still a mid-first round pick, and he sh- should have been a solid player. I, I, you know, we know the Wizards don't have a bad history of developing their, their uh, first round picks, so what well, probably wasn't going to work out there. But 
you know, for the first half of this season, my impression of Troy was always like, yeah, he's shown flashes, but you kind of get the sense of this is why this guy's a minimum level player because um, he just, he can't do it enough consistently to keep himself in the rotation and this and that. And, you know, the coaching staff made the decision to put him into the rotation consistently. Um, And he is really delivered. And we were chatting about this offline the other day, but I would even say that like between him and, Schroeder, although Schroeder maybe has had a more of an obvious impact um, in terms of stats and all this and that. Troy Brown is like 23 years old. He's yeah. coming off a career season. He He's like, you know, super athletic. He's willing to play defense. He's got good length. He's got good size. His shot is very clearly improving. Um, it's improved over the course of this season. Um, as it, And it's improved as his volume has gone up even, which is great. So you know, he is a, he's a player on the rise and someone is going to take a strong look at this guy with their MLE, I would have to think. You know, what's funny is Troy Brown kind of assumed Stanley Johnson's position this year. And I feel like he represents the best case version of what Stanley would have been if we had continued to see him progress, you know, but I think better objectively, just because Troy Brown has always had these playmaking skills. He's always been able to rebound. He's been able to shoot better than Stanley Johnson has in the limited opportunities that he has had. So in a lot of ways, it's like, even though we feel like we were robbed of seeing Stanley Johnson's progression, we kind of weren't through Troy Brown Jr., you know? And now we can make things right and maybe still even bring Stanley Johnson back next season on the minimum um, by, you know, retaining Troy Brown with the MLE. So yeah, I think everything you said is true and really good point on the coaching decision and coaching staff because in my head, he was bumped down to like the 12th, 13th man, you know? I think I even said something in our like trade deadline podcast where I was like, yeah, Davon Reed can probably defend better than him and maybe... Maybe he'll get a shot over him. That's clearly not the case. But yeah, flowers to Troy Brown Jr. Let's move on to Tommy Itadakimas, Rui Hachimura. I don't know why I said Itadakimas because that absolutely does not make sense. Make Konnichiwa! Because <laughs> we are not about to have a meal, but actually are we when we're talking about the meal of basketball and Rui Hachimura's play? I thought you were going to say because Ru- Rui's a snack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Itadakimas, Rui Hachimura is a snack. Let's dive in. Okay. Anyways, let's talk about Rui Hachi Godzilla. OKC game, nine points, nine rebounds, three blocks. That doesn't even tell the tale, Tommy. It does not, dude. Yeah, when I when I looked at the stats after, I was like, wow, I would have thought he he had way more. uh, It shows you. You gotta have to watch the 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 box score. Doesn't tell you the whole story. No, absolutely. His activity, his hustle, crashing the glass, the decisive offensive movements off the dribble. All of a sudden, I mean, it really is such a. Such a peculiar bipolar player. Um, yes. At times, he looks so loafing and unengaged, some of which I'll put the blame on the coaching staff for not putting him in the right positions where he's comfortable. Um, his hands on offense, his finishing, his handle, they are also weak and soft sometimes. It's frustrating to watch. But other times, he'll remember that he's a big dude with great length and nice athleticism and that he can bully these other guys all the way to the basket. And... You're just like, dude, there's so much potential here if we can just get this guy out of his own head. And it almost reminds me of Lamar Odom when Lamar Odom was just so passive his entire career. Obviously, Lamar Odom has skills way beyond Rui Hachimura. I'm not comparing them as players. I'm just comparing 
the role player mindset of Rui and Lamar were both kind of content to just stay in the shadows unless they were actually called upon. You know what I mean? And Rui is an even more extreme case. Um, And I don't want to psychoanalyze this dude because obviously he's had some like mental health issues over the last season too. But yeah, Rui Hachimura, this is why games like last night and games like he showed, I mean, he's had some of our biggest blocks this season. You know what I mean? Like game-saving blocks. He had that block against uh, Jalen Brunson in the New York Knicks game where he put up 19 points, 9 rebounds. And then in this game, he blocked Lou Dort. Then he blocked... I mean, when you see Rui Hachimura go up for that block against, I forgot, Jalen Williams, and his hand is above the box of the glass, why can't he dunk the hell out of the ball every single time when you know... He's capable of making those types of plays. You know what I mean? It was insane. And so it's crazy. And then the one thing, the last thing I want to add is he still leads this team in the mid-range this season in volume and percentage, shooting 47.8% from 10 feet out to the three-point line, hitting 66 of 138. So I would just like to implore this coaching staff, especially with LeBron James out, to give him some opportunities in the mid post, you know what I mean? But having said all of that, Rui, man, the OKC game was kind of like a poster boy of what he should be upcoming for this last stretch. Your quick thoughts on Rui. Yeah, I've been extremely impressed with Rui, especially, you know, after that coming out of that last game, and we'll see if he can build off of it. But personally, I've seen enough in even just the sample size we've seen. I mean, you and I have commented just again offline uh, uh, on the fact of like Rui will just have these long stretches where like you kind of forget he's even on the court mm-hmm. um, against the OKC or excuse me in the OKC game that was not the case I mean that guy you felt his impact like the entire fourth quarter I mean like he was just dominant every time he got switched onto a guard on the perimeter. He locked them up, forced them into a tough shot. He was switching onto Giddy and forcing him into t- tough mm-hmm. situations. He was using his length. He was coming around as a weak side blocker, a shot blocker. He was being an aggressive, being aggressive. With Rui, you just—it's so interesting, right? And there's, there's like, he's he's had this fact about him since he was being recruited. And he's just never been able to, you know, again, we, we talk about Washington first round picks, but he's never been able to sort of take the step. And that's with his aggression. I think Rui, he hasn't been playing basketball his whole life. Somebody else can go look, <laughs> go, go look up his history, but he, he played baseball in Japan and he played basketball a lot later in life than most people. He is not like the most aggressive player and he needs to learn how to harness that aggression and really mm-hmm. put it out there on the court because he has all the physical tools to be a complete monster. No, I I agree. And I hope Phil Handy can work with him more this offseason after we retain him. Retain being the key word here. But them, the coaching staff telling him at halftime, hey, Rui, we need more of this out of you. And him responding in such a quick way. We need more of that. In some ways, and I, and I, I put the onus on the coaching staff too, he's like become the new Kuzma. But with less overall skill and natural feel, he's obviously less fluid than Kuzma. But with regards to, don't just keep him out on the perimeter you know and have him stand on the baseline three-point line you know but for me the biggest thing was even if they make him do that that one play in the fourth quarter where Rui had it out at the three-point line and then off his own dribble he was like you know what I think I can just drive it all the way in and he literally went all the way in for a layup and I was like dude you can do that you know I I know his his handle is a little bit shaky and his decision making when it comes to 
seeing traffic can be kind of wild. But in moments like that, if he has more of that mindset, even though he'll get maybe offensive fouls or turnovers, I think we'll be much better off for it, you know? If he just maintains that mentality of that one play where he takes it off the dribble from the three-point line because the defense is just expecting him to stay there because that's what he's been doing the entire game, you know? So all of a sudden, they're caught off guard when he takes it off the dribble and bullies them all the way to the basket. Yeah, and we've talked about this in the context of our guards, too, but with this four-out system, like, there's going to be a lot of drive and kick. Every team that runs this system has a lot of drive and kick, and you know, that's what we're seeing with this group. And to have a three, four, like huge, huge wing who can drive and kick is just like such a luxury. I mean, sorry, drive and drive off the dribble and do something with it, right? Like either yeah. create his own shot or what. So the fact that, so it, it just works on, in, on two levels because he can, he's enough of a three point threat to be able to spread the floor. But if you do close out on him, he doesn't necessarily have to shoot it. He could put it down and do things with it. So I, I really hope that they don't take Vanderbilt's like success here as like a reason to not bring back Rui. Cause I think both of those guys have a space on this team. Um, they they complement each other and they complement each other. And I would really, really, really would like to see them try to um, develop Rui a little bit. Yeah. So let's, easily transition into Vanderbilt because I see a vision in my head, Tommy, where Vanderbilt and Rui are both wreaking havoc together, you know, on the defensive end. And it's amazing. And Vanderbilt, you know, he struggled a little bit offensively the last two games. You've kind of seen his deficiencies. Clearly, offensively, he's much better in transition. Um, but having said that, he won us that Dallas game kind of almost by himself. You know, he is the ultimate utility man. In the Dallas game, I have never seen a man possessed on the court defensively like that since maybe Ron Artest, except Vanderbilt was causing all of his havoc in transition and going right in for easy dunks. I think there were there was a stretch in the third quarter where he caused three or four turnovers that led directly to two or three <laughs> easy dunks. It, it was insane. I've never seen anything like that. And even in the last two games where he's kind of cooled off, you know, just knowing that we can count on somebody to stick on the t- on the opposing team's best scorer yeah. gives me such a sigh of relief because then everybody can slot down properly and anything else you get is a cherry on top of the Sunday. But like even tonight when we're about to face the Minnesota Timberwolves and I'm a bit scared, I'm like, oh, but he, we can stick him on Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards is a young enough player where, and, and he's erratic enough at this stage of his career where man, Vanderbilt is gonna, could force this guy into some very bad shots, you know? So, yeah, your thoughts on Vanderbilt. The, I told you this guy was good. I told you he was the crown jewel, potentially, of this deal, and it's starting to look like it. It is starting to look like it. So, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you your flowers here, because <laughs> uh, you, know, you were right on about this guy. To me, Vanderbilt, right, I had not watched him at all. That's the big caveat. All I had seen from him were highlights. And as we know, after having him on the team for a few games, he has highlight plays, but they do not tell like the whole story of his impact. Um, he is just, he, I've never seen a player play at like with this amount of energy that for the, like this many sustained bursts over the course of a game. Like yeah. you mentioned the three or four possessions in a row where he got deflections. 
he must have ran a mile like, like in just those four <laughs> possessions and like he wasn't he, he like he didn't even look tired he just kept doing yeah. it most guy and then it's like they'll call a timeout and he's like oh he like lifted this big exit i'm like <laughs> this guy's like superhuman i mean it's like interesting i didn't really know anything about him when he was at kentucky and then i looked up his stats the other day did you know he averaged like seven or eight rebounds a game and like less than 20 minutes a game at Kentucky. And, you know, he wasn't even part, a part of the like consistent rotation there. So he's had these like tools. And I mean, I give major props to like the scout who, who also found this dude, because it's not very clear what this guy does that translates to modern NBA basketball, but it's almost like Draymond Green in a way. Like he's so yeah. good at everything else that it works. Like the fact that he can't shoot, does it become problematic at times? Sure. Like maybe you can't have him consistently yet in your closing lineup because, you know, he can't hit free throws and he can't shoot, but you know, he does so much else over the course of a game that it's still worth playing him. And the guy, yeah, kind of reminds me of Draymond Green a little bit. In that sense. And he's a good off ball player. He's smart on both ends of the court. This is why I've compared him to Alex Caruso, but at the power forward spot, um, he just knows where to be. He knows the spaces he needs to fill. He knows when to cut. And when he gets the ball, he knows how to playmake, whether it's swing, swing, swing to the open guy or playmake off his own dribble. Obviously, he playmakes better in transition. But yeah, Draymond Green is a good comp. And even having said that with regards to his um, shooting deficiencies, I mean, he hit a three in the Dallas game. He's hit a couple mid-range jump shots as well. So there's even room for improvement. But yeah, Jared Vanderbilt has been amazing. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to loop in Malik Beasley and Bamba together. Um, Malik Beasley has been a shooter shooter. You just see the gravity that he possesses as a shooter and the tough shots he's able to hit. Tommy, I don't know if you knew this, but on the year, Malik Beasley actually shoots a better percentage from pull-up three-point shots than he does catch and shoot, which means he likes to take one or two dribbles or relocate a little bit before he takes that shot. And I think as we've seen with LeBron James and Anthony Davis out, it makes sense because this dude can hit really tough three-point shots. And at times I feel like it helps his rhythm a little bit to get some dribbles in. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, he has changed just by himself. I wish it, it wasn't all on his shoulders. Obviously, D'Angelo Russell is out right now, so he should help. But just by himself, he's made us a competent shooting modern NBA team and also shown a little bit off the dribble as well, because like I mentioned, coming out of college, this guy was comped as one of those OJ Mayo type shooting guards, you know, oh, wow. do it all guys offensively. Um, in the NBA, I think you realize his his handle is just not there to consistently be that. But we've seen him at times just, you know, attack the closeout and just pull up for a nice one to two dribble mid-range shot and, and nail it. Or he'll attack the closeout. Decent floater, and then other times he'll throw up the lob, you know? He had that beautiful transition bounce pass to Rui Hachimura. So he has good playmaking chops as well, just don't let him dribble for too long. But he has that scorer's mentality, and most of all, not just a scorer's mentality in the likes of, you know, like Malik Monk is a good example, but Malik Beasley is also just, if you need him to be just the strict shooter, he is a pure strict shooter, you know? So your thoughts on Malik Beasley? Yeah, with him, the key word is always volume, right? Like, he is a he is a good shooter. There's no doubt about that. But he is not, like, he's never been, like, a 40%, you know, I'm going to consistently hit 40% from three or whatever. He's, like, but, but, you know, it's like Van Gundy. I can't remember which game Stan Van Gundy called. It might have been the Dallas game. But he talked about Beasley, and he kind of co compared him to, like, when Stan had to coach against J.R. Smith. Mm -hmm. Um 
and I do, I really do view those guys as kind of being the same. It's like Jarrett Smith was never like, I'm going to, you know, consistently hit 40% every night. But the fear with J.R. Smith and Van Gundy said this too, is that occasionally he's going to come in and hit six threes and there's like nothing you can do about it. Yes. Um, And that's essentially Beasley. Like he, you know, I look less at his shooting percentages. He's probably going to be some 40% overall field goal percentage, but that's mostly because he takes such a high volume. Like every shot he takes is a three almost. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even if he only hits like three out of 10, it's pretty good. You know, it's like decent efficiency overall. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I've been, and like you said, the gravity opens up things for everybody else. I like the fact that, you know, you don't have to tell Malik Beasley to stay aggressive. I think that's like another thing with the shooters that we've had over the, I, I don't even know if we can call them shooters with the straight face, but the guys we've had who are not horrific shooters the past few years, they would have a game or two where they would be off or even within a game where they would be off and you just couldn't count on them to even take the shots anymore. And you just, you don't have to worry about that with Beasley. And maybe that's a problem for some teams, but you know, we talked about Austin earlier. It's like when you have Austin playing behind him, it's like if Beasley's off, you can, you can pull him on this roster. So it works. Yeah. Like our other quote unquote shooters, like their confidence wanes very easily with Malik. It doesn't wane. And in fact, he's so relentless that he never gives the opposing defense a break. You know, he never puts the pressure off of them to make sure that they're attuned to the perimeter. And so that's what I love best about Malik Beasley. Um, Mo Bamba really quickly. I mean, he's been in and out of the lineup situationally, but last night in OKC showed again, just how helpful he can be in spot minutes. I mean, his three-point shot he hit three of them um i can't wait till he hits five tommy so i can say bomba number five um yeah. <laughs> like mambo number five but yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah mo bomba he has such a nice easy smooth looking three-point stroke it's kind of surprising actually yeah, um for, mobility for is a little yeah, yeah m- mobility is a little bit in question but like you mentioned with those measurements sometimes it doesn't matter because he is a true rim deterrent he blocked another couple shots last night and sent them back one day he'll learn to just snatch it out of the sky for the rebound but it doesn't matter he's still helpful for what this team needs and I'm assuming moving forward we may even see some Anthony Davis and Mo Bamba lineups as well but your quick thoughts on Mo Bamba and then we'll close it out with D'Lo yeah Mo Bamba I think his biggest problem in his in his entire life has probably been that like he's too naturally too too naturally gifted like both from a physical standpoint and I actually think from a skills standpoint I think Mo Bamba is so much better than people realize. I think the problem is when you're, I'm sorry about that. When <laughs> the problem is when you're seven foot one with a seven, 10 wingspan, how hard do you have to work on your game to get drafted into the NBA? <laughs> True. You know what I mean? So it's like, and then once you get into the NBA, things change, right? And that we've seen this story before with like these young bigs who sometimes it takes them a little while. And I, You know, we've talked about Mo Bamba as a potential casualty when it comes down to our salary cap next year, just because it's looking like this group is going to be like fairly deep into the repeater next year. Um, You know, I would not at all be opposed to holding on to this guy, even if 10 million is a slight overpay. See what Phil Handy can do with him. See what being in like a organization with like real veterans and stars who like work hard and maybe have a better culture. You know, I, I don't know anything about the magic, so I'm not trying to trash them specifically, but rebuilding teams sometimes have a different culture, right? So I, 
I think Mo Bamba has so much untapped potential. You talk about the loafing around, and I see it too, right? I just feel like he doesn't know how to utilize his physical gifts on the floor. And he has to learn how to do that because you kind of see him like he's good at going for the the help blocks because he's like, I'm big. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, he's good at shooting the threes because that's easy. He just stands there on his Island and shoots. He doesn't get defended that, that often because he's being defended by opposing big. So like he can do that. He's got to learn how to like be a more well-rounded basketball player. Mm-hmm. And I think once he learns how to win and like, and, and maybe I'm way overselling a Mobamba here, but to me, it feels like he's on the cusp. And once he learns how to win and, learns what kind of plays lead to winning games, he's just going to like elevate to another level. Um, yeah. I, I realize I sound like the biggest Mo Bamba fan of all time, <laughs> but I I see that in him. I just like right now he's like not there, you know? Sure. I mean, we've seen career transformations from guys like Bobby Portis into who he is now. And even a guy like Brooke Lopez, I know these are higher end comps, but Brooke Lopez is a completely different player than what he was when he started out in the NBA. You know, he gained a three point shot. He became a lot better defensively positionally, not just a shot blocker. And, you know, if you can do like 50% of what happened to Brooke Lopez and just Brooke Lopezify Mobamba a little bit, have him work on his post game, even if he doesn't work on his post game, just get him better positionally on defense and continue have him continue to hone that three-point shot I mean that's a very useful player um lastly let's talk about D'Lo we don't need to go too deeply into him I just think when we, and we've only seen him unfortunately for like you know three or four games but even in that span he's won us a couple games the Golden State game and then the New Orleans Pelicans game before the all-star break where he you know hit that three in transition and said like he never left and then he left us for a couple games well let's just say D'Lo we miss you because damn man like his calming presence without LeBron James is so very much needed and I never thought I would say those words in relation to D'Angelo Russell calming presence but D'Lo just knows how to organize the court better than anyone else on this team outside of LeBron and he also just provides that additional perimeter threat besides Malik Beasley whether it's off the dribble or via catch and shoot Um, and he just gives the, she just forces another look from the defense in pick and roll where they can't always go under the screen like they do with Dennis Schroeder because D'Angelo Russell at any moment can pop that three. And I just hope he is healthy next week because we're going to need him for this stretch run without LeBron James. But in the few games that I've seen him on this team, it just made so much functional sense. So your thoughts on D'Lo's return? Yeah, he's been so much better than he was the first time, right? And here I'll give flowers to uh, the Golden State Warriors coaching staff because they really developed this dude. You know, it started with the Nets for sure. So Kenny Atkinson, I actually, I don't, uh, I think Atkinson's the coach at that time, actually. So, you know, those guys did a great job with him when he, right when he left. Um, But this guy is like actually an NBA point guard now. I think there were times in his first few years with us where we sort of like, maybe made quietly or not so quietly wondered is this guy actually ever going to be an NBA point guard or is he just like a combo guard that like is going to always need a true ball handler next to him D'Angelo Russell to me now feels like more of a point guard than Dennis Schroeder I know you've said similar things oh, too. Yes. And yeah it's like he's so in command of what's going on on the floor and you never he'll have his turnover sometimes and often it's over dribbling into traffic um Usually his turnovers are just he is trying to make the right read and 
they're just like high, like, you know, usage turnovers, I guess I could call them. Like he's the point guard. So he's going to have some turnovers just like LeBron has turnovers, but they don't feel like excessive or unforced most of the time. Um, which when he was like in, in his first few years with us, they were almost all like unforced turnovers. Right. So he just like the way he moves around the court, he looks faster, um, both speed, like getting up and down the full length of the court, but also quickness, like, he competes defensively. Like, yeah, he's not a great defender at one-on-one. Like he'll get beat in the, on the perimeter, but like, he but he's aware. <laughs> he's aware. He has awareness and he plays solid team defense. And he was just as good as any, any of our other guards in defending those off ball screens against the Warriors. Right. So uh, when we played them um, right before the break, so I, I've been super, super impressed. We really do need him. And not only do we need him, but we kind of need him to not be like, I'm going to ease myself in D'Angelo. We need him yeah. to be like, I'm going to be like D'Angelo that I was this entire season leading up to this trade and slash this is my last, you know, 20 game stretch or whatever to go on my contract run. So yes, this dude needs a contract. Uh, we were happy to give it to him. And hopefully that helps both sides um, for the next month and a half or so. Yeah, we need, like he never left, ice in my veins, deloading D'Angelo, and I want to see his chemistry with Anthony Davis continue to grow. Um, LeBron James is going to be out for the next three weeks. We're looking at 11 games. The Lakers, I feel like in those 11 games, have to go at the very least 6-5. and five. You're hoping for 7-4, and four, but given the current state and the recent news, 6-5 and five makes sense. That should still keep us afloat, especially with the West cannibalizing itself. Uh, D'Lo, get well soon. LeBron James, get well soon. Continue to recover. And Anthony Davis, keep beasting it, man. This dude has been on a tear recently, even in spite of the fact that he's been banged up. And we are going to need it tonight against Anthony Davis and, sorry, against Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert. And then we're going to need it again on Sunday when Steph Curry returns. Done, done, done. All right, with that said, thank you guys for listening. We will catch you guys next time. Hopefully when we do, the Lakers will finally be at 500. My God, it's crazy that we have not gotten to 500 at any point in this season. I felt like I've been saying it like for months now that we're almost there. And every time it seems like we're almost there, we take three or four steps back. But hopefully this is the time because there's no better time than now. So Tommy, I will catch you later. Tommy? Hello? You know what? I think Tommy left us. Tommy? Wait, sorry. I muted myself. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Tommy, I'll catch you later, dude. (laughs) Yeah, peace. Sorry, I was like yelling it to myself here. (laughs) Like, peace. (laughs) Hello, peace. (laughs) All right, see you, dude. All right, peace. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.